Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and today's guest is pastor and best-selling author Darwin L. Gray. Darwin's new book is called God, Do You Hear Me? And it's all about the Lord's Prayer. So Darwin is walking us through that Lord's Prayer, what it means and how to pray it. You know, prayer can be challenging and confusing, and oftentimes we feel abandoned, betrayed, and anxious. We don't know what to pray for, we don't know the words to say, and sometimes it just feels like there's no one on the other side. I can't wait for you to tune into today's conversation with Derwin, and we hope and pray that after you hear today's conversation, that you will discover the prayer that God always answers. And we pray that this episode helps you to break through to a completely new and refreshing prayer life. Well, hello, Derwin, and welcome to the Love Offering Podcast. I'm so happy to have our first ever male guest. I know when you told me that pre production, I was like, OMG, this is an honor and privilege. And, um, um, you, you know, seriously, like you have worked hard to build a audience that trusts you. And so thank you for trusting me uh, with your friends that listen. And so it's pretty cool to be the first man on the podcast. Now, I have to admit some things here. Uh, so my wife and I have been together for 32 years. Her name is Vicki Gray. She's awesome. We met our freshman year in college. I was 18. She was 19. And we've been together ever since. So we've been married 29 years. On May 23rd, it'll be 30 years of marriage. And in our relationship, I tend to be the more, um, not to be stereotypical, but I tend to be the more emotional, the more the more sensitive. I like movies that are like musicals with singing. <laughs> she likes movies with Bruce Willis where you know one man defeats a whole country by himself and uh yeah, so so uh yeah, I'm honored to be with you guys. This is awesome. Well, so if, if, if listeners aren't familiar with you and your story, so you were originally, you were an NFL football player, and I wish that everybody could actually see you because you can see some of the um, helmets and footballs behind you. And I told you before the interview started that I have a middle school football playing son. And he actually asked if I, he could like co-host this with me. He's never asked that before, but unfortunately he is at school today and, and wasn't able to, but I am just interested in hearing about, as you look back at your time playing football, what yeah. do you think that God taught you through, through that season or through yeah. the multiple seasons, I guess? Yeah. You, you, you know, you know, um, our father was so compassionate because I didn't grow up um, going to church. And so for me, football actually functioned as a God and a God is anything that gives you affirmation, identity and mission. So if I played football well, I continued to advance. People cheered for me, that's affirmation. As a football player, my identity was wrapped up in what I did and then it gave me mission. So. It kept me in school getting good grades. It kept me uh, working out and training. So I would say the number one lesson that God taught me through football was, was, was this, is I could have all the fame and success in the world, but without him, it's nothing, literally. Mm -hmm. And so growing up poor, growing up on welfare, growing up in a, in, in a, um, a disenfranchised context of violence and dysfunction, uh, growing up without my dad, I thought football was going to heal 
all those hurts. I thought I could accomplish my way out of trauma. I thought I could succeed my way out of pain. And so it was like God allowed me to experience my dream, but without him, it was so unfulfilling. It was almost like I got duped, I got tricked. And so my third year in the NFL, um, it was like I was a team captain. I accomplished all my goals. And it was like, there's got to be more to life than this. And so uh, God was gracious. He, he, he gave me a teammate named Steve Grant, but Rachel, his nickname was the naked preacher. Okay. Because <laughs> every day after practice, he would take a shower, dry off, wrap a towel around his waist, and he would ask my teammates, do you know Jesus? It was the weirdest thing to me. And so I asked the veterans on the team, I was like, what's up with the half naked black man walking around <laughs> talking about, do you know Jesus? Yeah. And they said, don't pay no attention to him. That's the naked preacher. And so literally after practice, not in an annoying way, he would, he would, he would share Christ. And one day he asked me a question that changed my, my life. He said, do you know Jesus? And that began a five-year relationship of me watching his life, watching the way he loved his wife, watching the way guys went to him for advice. And um, eventually on August 2nd, 1997, it was my fifth year in the NFL. Uh, we were in Anderson, Indiana at Anderson College at training camp. And it was after lunchtime and I was walking back to my dorm room and there was just an ache in my soul. There was just like a chasm in my soul. That's the best way I could describe it. And I got to my dorm room and I called my wife on the phone and I said, I want to be more committed to you and I want to be committed to Jesus. And I felt the divine love of God. I felt when I was born again. And it was just overwhelming that for the first time in my life, I was loved with no strings attached. My whole life was performance. So if I'm good in football, people will cheer, cheer me. If I'm good, coaches will like me. If I'm good, maybe my dad will accept me. And for the first time, someone loved me even though I wasn't good enough. Mm. It was like Jesus was my good enough. And so um, I just I just fell in love with him. And my wife came to faith about six months before I did, because there was a woman at her job named Karen. And my wife would come home and say, there's this woman named Karen, and she's a good Christian. Like, we didn't know what a Christian was. We just knew she was good. And one day she asked my wife, Vicki, are you a Christian? And Vicki said, well, I believe in God. And the woman said, well, being a Christian is more than believing in God. And she laid out how Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. Jesus died to death we died to not only forgive our sins, but to make us righteous and pure and clean. And that Jesus rose again to defeat death and to give us eternal life now. And over a few months, my wife was like, yeah, I believe that. So she actually got saved and didn't know it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, both of us just came from unchurched backgrounds and fell in love with him. And so football taught me that you can have all the success in the world, but what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the world but lose your soul? Secondly, football also taught me, and this is why I'm excited about your son playing, and your son is a quarterback mm -hmm. and a safety. That tells me two things about, uh, or three things about, about him. Number one, he's a leader. Number two, he's smart. And number three, he's very athletic. And so I'm biased, but football is a great training ground for life because to be successful in football, you have to have sacrifice, 
you have to have discipline, you have to overcome adversity, and you have to be intelligent. And so football is actually the greatest leadership tool that I've learned to be a pastor. Those are my greatest lessons that I've learned. And so I often tell our congregation, I'm like, listen, um, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the owner of the team. Uh, I'm the head coach. My wife is the general manager. You guys are the congregation. The staff is the coaches. And we get prepared to go play this game called life. And we invite other people into this incredible life that we could have with Jesus. Yeah, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking we're really lucky. My son has an incredible coaching staff. And in fact, they read every day after school a devotion out of the FCA Bible or devotional. And one day after school, the coach said, if any of you players would like one of these devotionals, I'll purchase it for you. And mm -hmm. so my son's name is Will. And so Will went up to his coach and said, I would like one. And his coach followed through and gave him the devotional. And so I found that devotional in Will's backpack after school. And I said, Will, would you like me to take this out of your backpack and put it on your nightstand? And he said, no, I want you to leave it in my backpack. And I want to, because um, I'm going to read it during school, during reading time. Wow. And I got so excited about this because number one, the transformation that can happen in my son through reading the word. Number two, what happens when other students start to ask questions? Hey, Will, mm -hmm. what are you reading? And then number three, does that give, I mean, we're talking middle school students. Mm -hmm. <laughs> does that give the other middle school students the courage to bring their own Bible or devotional to read during that time too? And, and the reason I'm mentioning that is because you mentioned the two people, the naked pastor and, and then the, your wife's friend that, um, extended an invitation and were brave enough and had the courage enough to, yes. to preach the gospel in the way that they could. And, and I'm seeing that in my own son and in his coach. And, and yeah. I just want to encourage everybody listening that we, sometimes I think we've overcomplicated what God intended to be yes. simple. It can, his transformation of us can start with somebody just extending the invitation or mentioning the name of Jesus. And yeah. so that's what you're all about is, is transformation. That's the name of your church. You're the founding pastor of Transformation Church. Well, and 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 that is exactly what it's really about. So I've noticed that uh, Ted Lasso is kind of the show that everybody's telling everybody to watch because they're getting satisfaction out of it. What if we had such satisfaction in Jesus that we wanted everybody to experience him as well? For out of your heart, your mouth speaks. And I pray, and, and, and that's what the Lord's prayer is really about. It's not about getting stuff from God. It's actually getting God and getting to know God and to getting to know God's heartbeat so much so that what satisfies you, you want others to be satisfied. Yeah. Well, and, and so that actually leads me, you're on because you, well, I mean, I've already enjoyed today's conversation, but you've actually written a book titled God, do you hear me? And it's about the Lord's prayer and, and how important prayer is for our transformation. So I'd love for you just to, to maybe start with this with, did, did this book, writing this book come out of your own wrestling with prayer? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, anything of significance that matters to you comes out of a season of wrestling. And so one of the, one of the first things that I want to do is just put the audience at ease because as followers of Christ, and I know not everybody who listens is, um, but as followers of Christ, we know we should pray, but prayer is like a really good friend 
but sometimes you get mad at them because they don't show up when you want them to sh show up or you don't understand them or you're not talking to them the right way. And, and so I want to put everybody at ease to say, if you find prayer difficult, confusing, and sometimes a struggle, join the club. Mm -hmm. We all do. And even Jesus's disciples did. I want you to think about, about this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus's Jewish disciples are following him around. And Luke 11, 1 says, and Jesus was praying in a certain place. So Jesus in his humanity had a certain place to pray. For exa exa example, when I wake up in the morning, I know when I go downstairs for morning coffee, I'm going to see my wife, her Bible, her journal, and our 22-pound tuxedo cat. And she's going to be praying. She's going to be reading a word. And let me just make a comment here. I don't know if your cats are saved, but my cat knows Jesus. Mr. My Boots, dogs do. I'm, I'm a firm believer. Mr. Yes. Mr. <laughs> Boots is born again. So I know my wife has a certain place, right? So what is our certain place that we pray? And then next, the disciples say this, Lord, will you teach us to pray? So I want to pause here. Think of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus for. Jesus, hey, could you bless my business? Hey, uh, uh, um, Jesus, could you give me a, a nice condo near Pontius Pilate? Hey, J Jesus, um, could you give me a Mercedes-Benz camel with the chrome hooves? <laughs> no, they say, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And that is such a, a beautiful and tender request. And God's always going to answer that request. And so when, you, we, when we go to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says, therefore, when you pray, you should pray like this. In the Greek language, the word pray is written in what's called a present imperative. And so it means a, um, a continuous habitual prayer. So prayer is more than talking to God, not less than talking to God. Prayer is more than asking for things from God. Prayer is our hearts are open always to the divine love and influence of God in all of life. Prayers, I'm continuously open to God's presence. And so Jesus gives us the Lord's prayer as a framework. One of the ways that I like to describe it is this. If you ever go to like a Broadway show and there are dancers, and if you've ever seen incredible dancers, whether ballet or whatever it may be, someone choreographed those dances. Well, the Lord's Prayer is a choreographed framework so that when we pray it, we could dance to the rhythm of God's grace. And so Jesus starts with our Father. Uh, that term father is an Aramaic word that's equivalent to the English word of papa, of daddy. It's a term of intimacy, which means into me you see. And so the Lord's prayer actually allows us to see the heart of God and to put us in sync with God's heart because the Lord's prayer is a description of God's will for our lives. So think of it in this in, in these terms. The Lord's prayer reveals God's will for our lives and aligns us to our assignment in his kingdom. So when you think about it, uh, the Lord's prayer is an invitation to get to know God the Father. 
And then it says, honor your name as holy. What in the world does that mean? Well, first of all, the word holy means set apart. So case in point, uh, this is a wedding ring. I wear it everywhere because I want the world to know I am set apart for Vicki Gray. She has mesmerized me. My wife has captivated me. I've seen her walk through cancer. I've seen her walk through difficult pregnancies. Um, that woman taught me how to study in college. Like she is my best friend. She has won my heart and I want the world to know that I am taken. Well, to honor God's name as holy means we're wearing a, a wedding ring and we belong to God the Father. And there's going to be false lovers that try to flirt with us like insecurity, like doubt, like deception, like greed. All these things are going to whisper in our ears and we're going to go, God put a ring on it. Better yet, uh, he didn't put a ring on it. He put a cross on it and an empty tomb. Um, so there's this aspect of allegiance. And then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of Christians, and I say this respectfully, mistakenly think that God's goal is to get us out of earth. When in reality, God himself came to earth to bring heaven to earth through us, that God has always wanted to be with us. And so what does the kingdom of God look like? It looks like Jesus taking his Jewish disciples to Samaria, where Jews and Gentiles had a 700-year racial feud. And Jesus goes, we're going to knock down the wall of racism. And then it looks like Jesus in Samaria meeting a Samaritan woman. So I'm going to knock down the racial wall. Now I'm going to knock down the misogyny wall. I'm going to knock down the sexism wall. And then I'm going to knock down the sin wall because she had been married five times and was living with a man that was not her Husband, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. It looks beautiful like that. The kingdom of God looks like telling Mary, a woman, it's okay for you to sit at my feet with the men and be a disciple. The kingdom of God looks like Jesus going to the temple and overturning the tables because of systemic injustice. The Sadducees had created a corrupt system and it turned a father's house into a den of thieves, into a house of prayer for all people. The kingdom of God, Rachel, looks like Jesus looking at Peter and saying, yo, I'm going to the cross. And Peter goes, no, you're not. And Jesus goes, get from behind me, Satan. And God wants to form that way of life in us. And then the kingdom of God looks like Jesus being the bread of life. What does that mean, Jesus is the bread of life? It means that he's going to meet our needs and not our greeds. And our overabundance meets someone else's need. And let me uh, uh, park here for a moment. We're going to be so thankful there are a lot of prayers that our Father in heaven never answered because that stuff may have destroyed us. Uh, when my kids were small and we would go to the candy store, there's this awesome candy store in Western Montana near Yellowstone. And it's like candies everywhere. And they, they would eat themselves into oblivion if we allowed them. So we have to say no, because it's not good for us. There's things that we pray for. And God says no, because it's not good for you. And then there are things that we pray for that it may take years for that to come to fruition. 
um, people say, well, pastor, you know, you, you, you know, you've, you've, you've written like six books now. And I go, well, from about 2000 to 2008, let me show you a stack of rejection letters. Every book that I've written is on a stack of rejection letters. And so sometimes it takes a while, but God is always on time. May not be your time or my time, but he's always on time. And then think about this, the Lord's prayer moves us into this incredible gift of forgiveness. Um, so many of us struggle with shame and guilt. Shame and guilt are the twin brothers of destruction. Guilt says, you know what? You deserve what you get. Shame says you are what you've done or you are what happened to you. Uh, one out of four women are sexually molested. One out of five men are sexually molested. And oftentimes we live in trauma. I'm, I'm one out of the four. And so if we don't allow God's forgiveness and grace to heal our trauma, we will continue to live in that trauma and it'll be like a movie that's being played over and over again. And so the person who victimizes you re-victimizes you. And what forgiveness does is when you go, God, because you forgave me, I'm even going to forgive the person. Now, that doesn't mean they don't suffer the consequences of their action, but what it does mean is you no longer have the right to re-victimize me because I'm not a victim, I'm victorious in Christ. Jesus is greater than my trauma. His triumph on the cross and the resurrection is greater than the pain that happened to me and out of my pain is an incredible purpose. And so forgiveness of sins, um, the blood of Jesus, not only purifies us, not only cleanses us, but it declares us as righteous as Jesus. It tells us that we're God's forever friends. And then it gives us the power to do the unimaginable. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, uh, bless those who persecute you and even pray for your enemies. And so forgiveness of sins is so beautiful. And Jesus is like, I'm the one who can do, do that. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the kingdom and the power and glory. What does that mean, lead us not into temptation? Well, we know from Hebrews 6, God does not tempt us. We also know from 1 Corinthians 10, God gives us a way of escape out of temptation. So what's happening here? Here's what's ha happening, and it's so gracious of, of God. So in Matthew 3, 17, Jesus is baptized, and then the scripture says in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, and the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So number one, any temptation we get in anything that happens to us must first go through the nail-pierced hands of our king. Jesus is retracing the steps of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. They were tempted and they failed three times. Jesus was tempted three times and he succeeded. He showed us how to defeat Satan and his victory is accredited to our account. It's like a spiritual Venmo. Jesus deposited his victory into our account. So here are the three lies that Satan is always going to use. And this is for men, women, boys and girls, everywhere. Satan only has three lies. Satan is the author of the disinformation campaign. What did he tell Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say that? 
Notice he didn't pick Adam and Eve up and throw them into the tree. What we say at Transformation Church is this, the scene of the crime is your mind. And so Satan wants to give disinformation. So what does he tell Jesus? Well, turn this bread into stone. In other words, you are what you do. And how does Jesus re re respond? He says, no, the scriptures say man should not live by bread alone, but by every word out of God's mouth. So we are not what we do. We are what Christ has done. We are not what, what we do. Um, we are not what others say. So can I, can I just take a moment here? Um, and and um, if I would just have the liberty as a pastor and as a new friend, there are so many women who find their identity in how well their children do. Yeah. And if you don't believe me, just look at Instagram, look at Facebook. It's a competition on how well we parent and we give this illusion that we have it all together. So just take a deep breath and let me hit you with this. Adam and Eve had a perfect parent, God the Father. And what did they do? They plunged the world into sin and darkness. So if Adam and Eve did that to a perfect parent, how well are we going to do as parents? One of the things that I've learned about parenting, the best thing I can do as a parent is point my children to the greatest parent of all and to not try to control or to manipulate them because God loves them more than I do. And their behavior is not a reflection on you or me as a parent. Kids have different wirings. So our kids, they came from the same mama and daddy and they are as different as night and day. Our son, Jeremiah has always been disciplined, focused, taking care of business. Our daughter is the life of the party. Where's the next party? Let's have fun. And this is what I've learned. I've learned that I thought I was parenting my kids, but my kids have actually been parenting me. What do I mean by, by that? I mean this, how they live and move affects how I parent. So they've been teaching me for 25 and 21 years. I've just become wise enough now to realize that. So we're not what others think. We are what God thinks. And God says, you are a beloved son and daughter. Then finally, uh, Satan tells Jesus he's going to give him all the kingdoms of the world. Isn't, isn't Satan out of his mind? Jesus already owns all the kingdoms. So he's trying to give Jesus what he already has. But our world tells us you are what you have. And Jesus goes, no, you are who you are because God purchased you, that our value comes from, from belonging to him. So those are the only three ways Satan can destroy us. And so with the Lord's prayer, we are reaffirming that death has been defeated because we have resurrection bodies and eternal life. And that Satan, when you tip me with those three lies, I got the three truths of the gospel to live by. And so the Lord's prayer is this choreography that helps us dance within the purpose. It reveals God's will for us. 
and it's intimacy into me, you see. That's why the Lord's prayer doesn't start with give me, give me, give me. It starts with our father. Hey there, I just wanted to pop in here and pause today's episode just for a moment to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode. This week's sponsor is Faithbox. Faithbox is a Christian box with themed devotionals, books, and products to help you grow closer to Jesus and live out your faith in the real world. Faithbox helps you to grow closer to Jesus by delivering spiritually enriching Christian devotionals and exclusive do-good products to your front door every month. I have been getting these Faith Boxes for almost four months now, I believe, and Honestly, every time I open one, it is a treat. Every month is a different theme, and throughout each month, they give a, a devotion each day, which is an added bonus. So specifically for our Love Offering podcast listeners, Faithbox has given us $10 off of our first month by using the discount code Love Offering, all capital letters, L-O-V-E-O-F-F-E-R-I-N-G, and you can find them by visiting faithbox.com. Now, back to our episode. So my question for you is, so if we, if we continue to pray this prayer, and I'm so glad you walked us through each individual part of that prayer that was wonderful. And it brought such new life into it. But if we repeat this prayer every single day, how do we, I don't know, stop ourselves from just it being redundant or routine or just starting to become ordinary in itself. It's just like, which is just another thing we do. How do we, yeah. how do we make it? always feel fresh and alive. And yeah. I don't know, yeah. do you understand what I'm trying to ask there? I do. I do. So let me give you an illustration. Um, so when I first met my wife, uh, we were like peas and carrots, like we were inseparable. Uh, we got engaged in college, which both of our families thought we were nuts. We got married in college. They really thought we were nuts. And so when we got married on May 23rd, 1992, I thought I loved my wife and I did, but after being together for 32 years, what I thought was love back then, nowhere near compares to how I love her now. So the question is, how does a marriage not grow stale? How does prayer not grow stale? Because it's not about getting something out of it. It's about being with someone. And so the way I pray is, so in the morning time, in the shower, I pray the Lord's prayer word for word. And I say, Lord, let this be true in me, my family, Transformation Church, the church, and the whole world. At lunchtime, I'll do the same thing. And then at night, I pray Psalm 23 so I can go to bed with the word of God soaking me. And I pray the same thing. Lord, may this be true of me, my family, Transformation Church, the church, and the world. And then throughout the day, I'm using the Lord's prayer as a framework. And we got to be okay with boredom. Like we have to be okay with boredom. And I think sometimes we entertain ourselves into oblivion. Just because we don't feel God, just because they're not like uh, uh, um, firecrackers going off and it's the greatest moment. It doesn't mean that the Lord is not present. Yeah. 
You know, um, I'm sure there are a lot of farmers who when they're tilling the soil and their hands are hurting and they're putting down seed and it's hot and they're like, this is not exciting. (laughs) Even when you get the harvest, it's work. Mm. Oh, but when you get to eat the food, when you get the, um, when you get to uh, feed others with the work of your hands. And a lot of times prayer is a lot like that. So what I would say is pray that you're entering into greater depths of intimacy with the Lord. Every time I pray is not like a, wow, that was the best I've ever prayed, but that's not what I'm expecting. What I'm expecting is I know that God is present. I know that God is good. And there's a lot of things that we do, Rachel, that are very routine based is we say things like, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, the Lord's prayer is routine. Well, I hope brushing your teeth is routine. (laughs) Right. I hope taking a shower is routine. (laughs) Right. You know, so there's a lot of things that we do that's routine and, you know, watching and binging on Netflix is routine for a lot of us. And um, so what I would say is that it only becomes routine and ritualistic if we don't understand that prayer is about intimacy. Into me, you see. Well, so something I think that prayer is, and I find it so fascinating, is that God actually created us as his partners and co-workers in his kingdom. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I know we aren't supposed to pray to get something, but often he does ask us to pray as partners with him. So do you have anything to say on that? I do. I do. I actually, uh, uh, section three of the book where we talk about God's kingdom, what's really, really super dope is, and I think this is one of the aspects where I I think the book is going to help us is this, is that every follower of Jesus is a royal priest. What does that mean? It means this, that because of the blood transfusion we've had with Jesus, who is King Jesus, we are now his royal priest. What is a priest? A priest is someone who stands in between God and man and mediates. It's like your life is a bridge. And so everybody who follows Jesus by necessity of your new birth in him, he turns us into a royal priest in his kingdom. Therefore, we now join Jesus in being light and darkness. We now extend the life of Jesus as we allow him to live through us. Jesus was the great high priest, and now we are his royal priest, whether if you work at a Fortune 500 company, whether if you work on a farm, whether if you are a stay-at-home engineer, mom or dad, whatever it is, we are now royalty. Now, the difference between our royalty and, say, the British monarchy is this. Our royalty is not people serving us, but us serving them. Jesus, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to be a servant and to give his life away as a ransom for the many. And so we join Jesus as becoming servants in the world. And yes, God does want us to ask, but notice the nature of the prayer. Father, holy kingdom, now give us today our daily bread. And so, yes, we're to ask, 
And here's what's beautiful. Um, so how old is your oldest? He's 12. Okay, so he's 12. Mm -hmm. Something's going to happen. Life is going to speed up. And be before you know it, you're going to be at the center of the football field. You, your, your 18-year-old, and your husband. And it's going to be senior night. And then before you know it, you're going to be dropping him off at college. Trust me. It is warp speed, man. It's crazy. Now, when you send him to college, are you going to go, okay, uh, son, we love you, but uh, hey, good luck paying tuition. Good luck buying clothes. Good luck buying food. Good luck buying books. See you later. Bye-bye. No. You're going to give him everything <laughs> possible to be successful, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So why wouldn't God the Father give us what we need to join him in his mission? So when we pray, give us this day, our daily bread, we're to go, you know what, Lord, college is expensive and you already know I have this need. And I want to thank you in advance for meeting this need. Hey, Lord, uh, wow. Um, there's some sickness and we know that by your stripes, we're healed, that you're going to either heal us in the resurrection or are you going to heal us to today miraculously or through doctors? So I just want to thank you for, for that. Lord, I feel anxiety and stress. And so I need you to use medication or therapy or supernatural, however you want to do it. God is going to meet our needs. But when we pray in the choreograph of our father, set you apart, your kingdom come, then our prayers begin to align with God's provision for us. I love that. And I'm so thankful. And as I think about, you know, as people read your book, as people are listening to this message, and as we start to pray this Lord's prayer, morning, lunch, and then maybe the Psalm at night, what do you hope that we start to experience? What, what kind of yeah. transformation do you think may happen? Yeah, well, my hope and my experience is that Thousands of people would say, oh my gosh, I never knew I was so loved. Mm -hmm. I never knew Jesus was so beautiful. I never knew the Holy Spirit was so present. Wow. Even the ordinary things are bristling with supernatural capacities. Wow. Oh my gosh. Every person that I come in contact with, God loves. Wow, I'm a part of God's kingdom. And my prayer is that thousands of people in small groups studying material, studying the questions at the end of every chapter, and that we would begin to pray with boldness and confidence prayers that even make God the Father blush. That God the Father would tiptoe over the edge of eternity and say, wow, listen to my children pray. They still believe that I can part the Red Sea. They still believe I can turn a mess into something masterful. They still believe that my son is king. I want to back up briefly because I... I I, I just really want to make this practical for, for me and for each listener. When you talked about the kingdom come yeah. and you talked about how that transpired in 
the life of Jesus and mm-hmm. the, the walls that came down in all of those ways. What does kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What does that look like for us now? But it, what it looks like now is what I call upward, inward, outward. And I got that from a gentleman by the name of Ken Boa. And it basically means this, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So upward, inward, outward. That's why I started it, this podcast, Derwin. That's the, that's the, the, those are the greatest commandments. We know it, but how do we live it out? And how, does, yeah. how are you living that out? So yeah, thank you. Yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah. keep going. And, and so upward, inward, outward, it means that we are connected to the father's love and we love him and adore him because of his mercy and grace. And then we begin to love ourselves. Let me pause here for a minute because people struggle with this. To love yourself correctly does not lead to arrogance or pride. It actually leads to humility and gratitude to go, oh my gosh, everything that's true about Jesus is true about me. And then it gives us hope to love the world. So we often think that we have to do big things to be a part of the kingdom of God. But not everybody's created to be president or created to be a pastor, but everybody's created to participate in the kingdom. And so basically the kingdom of God means allowing Jesus to reproduce his life in you and through you in the little moments of life, the medium-sized moments of life, and the big moments of life. One of my life verses is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when I said, your kingdom come, the king of the kingdom lives in us, every one of us. And I know that there are people listening now. There are women listening now saying, well, but I'm just little old me. And God is going, I don't make just little old people. Mm -hmm. I make image bearers. Mm -hmm. Like I make people who are valuable, who have intrinsic worth. And you're going, well, I'm not qualified. Well, don't worry about it. None of us are qualified, (laughs) but who God calls, he qualifies. And the beauty of, of God's kingdom happens in the beauty of every single day. And so the practical part of it is we wake up with this incredible upward, inward, outward commandment. And when we get up, Jesus says, okay, let's go on an adventure today and let's be the kingdom. Um, one of my favorite restaurants, well, not one, it probably is, it's called Papa Do's Seafood Kitchen. And Papa Do's has an incredible meal called Blackened Catfish Opelousas. It has uh, butter with like 8 billion calories in it, but I don't care. <laughs> crawfish, shrimp. I mean, it's delicious. But before I get the main meal, um, I get oysters papado. So it's oysters with spinach on top and butter and all this good stuff. The appetizer is so good. It makes me long for the main meal. Mm-hmm. Well, God's kingdom coming to earth in us and through us is you and I are serving appetizers of love and compassion and mercy and grace so that the world can go, what is the main meal? And we know from scripture in the new heavens, new earth, Jesus talks about Abraham's banquet, meaning black people, white people, Asian people, Latino people, all types of people, male and female will be at God's table dining. And so it's kind of like 
God's kingdom now is we're spiritual waiters and waitresses giving out the appetizer of what's to come. That's so good. I have that picture in my head and I don't know that I'll ever forget it. That's such a good way to, um, to think about all of this. And so, okay, Derwin, I ask every one of my guests this question. So based on today's conversation, how do you best think we can be love offerings? Oh, gosh. I love the title of your podcast, Love Offerings, because um, that's like something that Jesus would say. And the best way that we can be a love offering, this is going to sound paradoxical, but roll with me, okay? When we try to be good without God, we end up being bad. So the way you become a love offering is you let the unlimited life-giving, sin-forgiving love of Jesus just ravage you. And when that happens, when God just overwhelms you, that's why Paul in Ephesians 3.14 says, and I pray that when Christ makes his home in your heart through faith, you would know together with all of God's people how long, how wide, how deep, how high is the love of Christ. Then you will be filled with the fullness of God. It's not about how much we love God. It's about how much God loves us. And when we tap into that beautiful mystery, we become an overflow of that love. Yeah. Uh, well, that's my prayer too, uh, for myself and for every person listening. Well, so I know I want to stay connected with you and I know listeners are going to want to. I want to make sure and mention that you've also written The Good Life. You and your wife, Vicki, have a ministry called One Heart at a Time. So obviously look to Transformation Church. So is there any other way that we can uh, stay connected to you and with yes. you? Yeah. So uh, my website is derwinlgray.com. Dot com. That's gray with an A, DerwinLGray.com. Also on all of my social media, it's at DerwinLGray. So if you guys uh, buy the book, um, God, do you hear, hear me? DM me some pictures on Instagram and Facebook, and I would love to interact with you. Um, but yeah, DerwinLGray.com. And my hope and prayers that thousands would form uh, small groups. Also, um, I dedicated uh, God, do you hear me to my wife? Because there's nobody who's taught me more about prayer than her. And the way she's taught me is I've seen it for 22 years. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, Darwin, awesome. I, I, she sounds awesome. And now I'm thinking, although you said she, she may not be a writer, not yet, at least, um, but maybe she might be the next the next person on the podcast that needs to come on if we could twist her arm. But I think um, you need to have her on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, you are such a great leader with such great wisdom. And um, I am inspired to start praying this Lord's prayer more often and believing in the power of prayer and, and, and discovering this prayer that he always answers. So God bless you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. You're awesome. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode with Derwin L. Gray. We pray that today you can have an answer to that question. God, do you hear me? The answer is a resounding yes. This week, our love offering is from Derwin, and he says, when we try to be good without God, we end up being bad. So the way that we become a love offering is we let the unlimited, life-giving, sin-forgiving love of Jesus 
to ravage you. If you are interested in show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams author on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I would love to connect with you there. I'd also love to connect with you over on the Love Offering Facebook community. There each week we dive in deeper into each podcast episode, into the blog series, and we encourage one another to live faithfully and love fully. If you have not yet subscribed, rated, and reviewed the Love Offering podcast, I would so appreciate if you would take the time to do that just so more women can find this Love Offering message. All of this information can be found at rachelkadams.com. There you can subscribe to receive my weekly Love Offering newsletter, and all of this information can be sent straight to your inbox. Next week, my guest is Jackie Avalas. Jackie is on the show sharing her cancer diagnosis, and she is helping us to rekindle hope in seasons of struggle and guard us from feeling pressed to keep walking toward our purpose. I hope you will make plans to join us then, but until then, I hope you have a terrific week, and as always, remember to lead with love.